Brad. Hi. What's <laughs> shaking? That was that was interesting. No, oh, thank you. I was trying to make you feel. I was trying to make you feel warm, feel good today. You know, feel calm. I, I saw a quote in my kid's school the other day. You know, I know I'm not supposed to be moved by elementary school wall quotes, uh, but <laughs> I was. <laughs> I, I guess there's a reason that they're, you know, the old industry standards. And it was a, a Maya Angelou uh, quote. And I don't remember exactly what it said, but the context was basically like, people aren't going to remember what you said to them. They're going to remember how you made them feel. Yes, I know that quote. And I took that a lot because, you know, I'd say through my life, my default has normally been talking, mm-hmm. talking in, in it, talking myself in it, talking myself out of it, you know, any number of ways where I thought the word itself could, could, could change the impact when, you know, I probably should just hummed a beautiful tune <laughs> and I would have gotten even farther. Yeah. Maybe yeah. make everybody feel relaxed. I don't know. Try to do something. So how you doing, Brad? I'm doing fine. How's my buzz? Uh, it's still buzzing, but it's okay as long as other people don't hear. I think mm. Shane had it a little louder than you. Yeah. But it was nice to have uh, old Shane on the podcast. Yeah. Was- We're talking about the fact that I was buzzing and that's why you don't hear me. I was muted. I muted <laughs> right. myself. Yeah. The reason you do not hear Brad through this podcast it's, is we couldn't get rid of his buzz. It's not because of all the sports talk at the top. <laughs> yeah. Were you just like, oh, fucking Raptors. I'm out of here. This is bullshit. <laughs> I was there. I was looking over the shoulders. I got to be honest, Brad. You know, once we started digging into this question, you know, and I know Shane had been asked it for a lot, uh, many different times. But as we get into it, I'm really sort of fascinated on what is the actual, like, history of the Sing Scream. And, you know, like, who was the first to try it and who popularized it and who did it in different cultures and from punk to hardcore to emo. It's like, like I said in the interview, it's kind of a Raiders of the Lost Ark thing. I feel like once you open another door, you just get three more. I don't know the answer. That could be a whole podcast right there. Musical history. I think it could be a documentary. <laughs> I believe. <laughs> Why can't a podcast be a documentary, Benny? Oh, I don't know. I don't mm. know how this works. I mean, <laughs> I think you could sell me an NFT of this podcast. Oh, yeah, I see what I you're saying. Know. It'd be nicer to have some visuals to go with it. Yeah, that sure. would, that would make sense. Sure. But I have a feeling like some, some some people should get credit for it that aren't getting credit for it. Like, like what was going on with does Iron Maiden get any love for that? Does Judas Priest, you know, does Sabbath? Like, you know, there was some kind of real aggressive stuff with singing, you know? Like, What about Little Richard? Right. He's hollering <laughs> all along. Is, is this a tale as old as time? And people have just, uh, you know, uh, converted it in different ways for their different scenes. Yeah. Truth. What would you think is the first in your estimation? The first? What's the, what's the definition that you're looking for? I guess it was the first people to mold together, you know, really melodic singing and hardcore screaming at the same time. So are you talking about the way that Silverstein or like, you know, that genre? So because to, for me, like they don't really, that's not, they're, they're, Silverstein's not screamy to me. Mm. 
the way like um like a screamo band would be i guess mm. a little more melodic they're like you know they i feel like when i hear the screaming in their songs it's like i expect it there but maybe <laughs> right. that's yeah they're melodic you can listen to them yeah. and not feel assaulted like well, it's a tale as old as time and i do feel that some of my new jersey brethren Deserve a little bit of credit for it. I know I mentioned some of this early on, but there's some bands around here. Vision, rest in peace, Dave Franklin, and Turning Point, and Lifetime, and some of these older bands who kind of, kind of were doing it too. I bet every scene around America could, around the world potentially, would have their version of who started this. My guess is there's one or two obscure like hardcore bands from the '80s that you could trace it back to, like. Mm. That's my guess is the old fart in the room. We got to get into this one. Nobody's day. coming right to mind, but you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll think about it. I love too that, you know, you never think that what, what are your thoughts on Metallica overall? You know, cause, cause I have a, I have a fairly similar story to Shane, you know, it was his interview. So I didn't talk about it much, but Metallica was like one of my first entries into heavy guitar rock music where i was like oh what is this and it i do think uh they deserve a lot of credit for people my age for kind of turning our ears that way like what were your thoughts on metallic so i mean i remember when the black record came out and it didn't sound like anything it was one of those records that when you listen to it you're like oh fuck like how is this going to impact us and unfortunately it directly impacted the goops because the first thing it came out it came out the week after we had mixed our first record and the producer mm. immediately went back and said okay we have to master this record so that it sounds like this metallica record like he Whoa, wasn't going to really? go back and remix it yeah he wow. was like he was listening to like the low end and stuff and i think as a result our record got a little bit fucked up because huh. i think he was trying to emulate something and the record i mean our first record i really i like it i wish you know Whatever. There's certain things about it. But, like, um, I think that that was a mistake to try to all of a sudden, you know, keep up with the Joneses. And like, So you think from a production standpoint, that record just brought things to another level that it hadn't been before. Yeah, and that was happening, every, you know. there's There's been records... What's the Foo Fighters record that has Monkey Wrench on it? That did the Color same. The shape. Yeah, so that did the same thing for a lot of like guitar rock. People heard that mm. and were like, "Oh, how come we can't have our guitars louder than our drums and still hear the drums?" <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, sure. Uh, sure. Which is almost impossible. I don't know how they have managed to do that on that record. But uh, and, and, and to to bring up a deep cut to give them credit, doesn't Boston deserve some credit for that? Wasn't the album with more than a feeling like the pinnacle of recording technology at that point? It was, that was like a record that was like definitely overproduced, you know, like he, I think the way that record was made was that Tom, is it Schultz? I think that sounds right. Guitar player. He had like a home studio, which was kind of unheard of. So he was allowed to basically like, you know, I think they recorded the drums and everything normally, like in a big studio, but he basically took tracks home and just like recorded them to death until he got exactly you know what? what he wanted. That story actually goes deeper than that, Brad. I know a little bit about oh, it. You do. What actually happened. Yeah. So they had, you know, that, that, that band and those songs was, you know, his uh, brainchild. Yeah. And he was still working 
a job at MIT when they got signed. Okay. And what the label, he had a perfectly done demo with more than a feeling, all these things that he had done at his home studio that he considered perfect. But when they got signed, they told him, you need to go recreate this album exactly the same at at this fancy studios out in Los Angeles. So he sent uh, like a proxy member of the band or something like out to LA to like start on, you know, correct me if I'm missing some details, (laughs) but essentially he fooled the record label and made them think he was recording the record out in Los Angeles and actually had brought in all this stuff to his home to finish the record there. And apparently because of, you know, recording technology at the time, to get it out of his basement, he needed like a truck, you know, like a semi truck right. that had to come to get like all <laughs> the stuff and convert it from his basement out there. So that first Boston record was actually a uh, a dupe to the record label. And I believe what we hear on the album is mostly still recorded at his home. So that sounds like a documentary as well, Benny. Right. I don't think I have access there to the Boston stuff, but <laughs> yeah. I, I did. Yeah, I do want to. I would love to do some docs. I had thought of one this week. I don't know if you know the basketball player, Clay Thompson, but he's a very cool guy. He's got a great personality and he's been hurt for almost two years. And as a, you know, he plays for Golden State out in the Bay. And the thing he's taken to to replace basketball was boating. And he bought a boat and started taking boats to practice. Oh, really? And I really want to get on the boat with Clay and find out his <laughs> philosophies on life. That's a new documentary I want to work on. So anybody who's got some in, in, inroads to Clay Thompson or a documentary up. making, yeah. Oh, okay. wait, I shouldn't have said this. Someone's <laughs> going to steal my idea, Brad. Um, don't you no. kind of want him to steal it so you can see it? No, I actually hit up somebody I know who has ties to the NBA uh, the other day, kind of being like, maybe they think this is such a good idea. They'll do it with me. And their first response to it was like, I can't imagine how many requests Clay Thompson gets for stuff like this. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, OK, which means this isn't going to happen. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. But anyway, I want to thank Shane for coming on. Uh yeah. Silverstein, 20 years of being a band, 10 albums. Like this is one of those classic, like People should listen to this interview as a, you know, these are telltales of what to do because they figured it out for themselves and they did it in a good way. And uh, 
yeah, Shane's podcast is great. Lead singer syndrome. He really gets into it with a lot of different people and uh, I like their new tunes. Yeah. So why don't we uh, get into this? This was a fun one. So you are a Raptors fan, big Raptors fan. I am a huge Raptors fan. And I'm not one of these, like, they just won a championship Raptors fans. Like, mm. I went to the games when they played in the Sky Dome Stadium in the first year. Whoa. You know? like I'm, What year I'm, was that? What was their expansion year? 1995. Oh, nice. So I was 14 years old, and basketball was literally my life. So for us to get an NBA team was like dream come true for me as, as a teenager. And within the first two years, I mean, you're talking Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, right? Not even, not even yet. I mean, if the first draft pick was Damon Stoudemire, right. really going back. And uh-huh. I remember the, the whole city was in like up in arms because they didn't take uh, one of the uh, O'Bannons, Oh, Ed from O'Bannon. Ed O'Bannon yeah. or, the his, the or his brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> and and everybody was like, oh, this this guy, this guy sucks. And then he ended yeah. up winning, Damon Sotomayor ended up winning Rookie of the Year. Yeah, he was great. But, you know, it was kind of because the team was so bad. Like, you know, some it's like that <laughs> yeah. thing, like somebody has to score, you know. Yeah, he got so. a lot of, he got a lot of reps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But, <laughs> yeah. but no, I, I, uh, I'm a, yeah, I'm a diehard, diehard Raptors fan. And, and We're, this, this season has been a surprise. Yeah, I was, I actually, in, in the preseason going into it, you know, I, I do a, a sports pod. So I, you know, I was kind of doing my pre rankings and I think I had Toronto just on the bubble of being out of it, you know? Um, yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect the Barnes to be as good as he is, mm-hmm. you know, Van Vliet to take a jump, uh, you know, Siakam to, you know, kind of step up again the last month. I didn't really expect any of yeah. that. So, yeah. Well, you know, fun. they started, they started the season without Siakam. You know, he's, you know, supposed to be their best player and they were pretty bad out of the gate. So they like, if you just look at their last, I don't know, like the last half the games they played, their record's probably really good. I don't know exactly what it is, but they've played well. And of course there's been some issues with like teams, not even bringing their whole team to Canada and yeah, you know, yeah, stuff like that with COVID. So there's been some things that have worked in their favor, but I think the team is better than people think. Um, yeah, they're not so. the Nets good, but uh right. Well, be all right. that being said, if the Nets wind up in a series with the Raptors, Kyrie Irving cannot play because he can't play in New York and can't play in Toronto. So I don't yeah. know how that's going to go. Were you a uh, psycho? Were, were you a basketball player at 14? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was um, big, just big sports kid, you know, okay. uh, grew up playing baseball. My dad's a huge baseball guy. He, in fact, he still runs an over 70 slow pitch league oh that is the coolest so he is Do you know yeah. the name of his team oh no he's it's had so many hilarious. good ones uh, yeah. my favorite one i think he was ever on he was on a team called the swill hounds yeah that was that was pretty good <laughs> but yeah so i've always been around baseball and and you know another you know the blue jays 1992 and 1993 they won you know back-to-back That's world right. series joe carter there you go so you know for me it was the, the city was really alive with it. And I loved, like I played baseball pretty much my whole life growing up and I played basketball in high school. So yeah, that was, you know, and then, then punk rock kind of took over my life for a little sure. while. And now it's, I like both. So yeah. And then you get, yeah, right, right. Everybody takes like 
the 10 year break from sports where you think you're like not allowed to do it. Cause it's not yeah, that cool. Exactly. And, and then you're, you're, then you're allowed like in your thirties again, you're like, Oh, who gives a shit? Yeah. It's kind of accurate. I think for me, it was like maybe a three or four year break trying to right. get the band off the ground. But no, I've, I've always, geez. I mean, like just, I love the blue Jays. Yeah. I love the Raptors. I love the Maple Leafs. So well, you know, those are in, my, those are my teams. In your estimation as an old school fan, I mean, why do you think, Toronto is the only Canadian city that's really been able to, to, to keep, you know, uh, American sports leagues and teams mm. and actually do it functionally. Like why hasn't that worked in other cities? You don't think? Well, it hasn't been tried too much. I mean, obviously there's Vancouver with the Grizzlies and that was, you know, well, there's a the theory, right? That the only reason the Raptors didn't go the way of the Grizzlies in Vancouver mm-hmm. was because of Vince Carter. Right. That guy just kept the team alive. Even though they weren't winning, everybody wanted to see that guy play. Air Canada. That's right. That's yeah. right, baby. And <laughs> that was important, you know? So I think that, that they got a little bit lucky with that. Uh, I think Montreal for the Expos, Yeah, it's just been, it's just tough. It's not that big a market to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I think that is a little bit of, they didn't know what they had till it was gone. Right. You know, I think sure. I think that, Montreal could support a baseball team again. I think they could. Seems like it. But I don't know. Like NFL, you know, there's always been the debate of will Toronto ever get an NFL franchise? Uh, because, uh, you know, it, it makes so much sense because it's such a huge city. Like, why wouldn't you have a football team? But we have right. our own league, right? The yeah, CFL. Sure. So then, which is quite we, popular, right? Eh. Uh, <laughs> I oh, mean, <okay. laughs> it, in Toronto, it, it really is not. Oh, I see. Because I've been in the middle of Canada before, where people are yeah. going ape shit oh, yeah. about it. Yeah, uh, the the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. That's yes, the team. That's, that's right. That's they right. are they're like the Yankees, Maple Leafs, and Lakers in one team. Like that's how much bigger oh, they are than all the other really uh, CFL okay. teams. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know they were yeah. the uh, they were they were the brass ring. I didn't. It's all they that. got. It's all they got in, in Saskatchewan. But my and my favorite. My favorite little tidbit of the CFL is that I don't know what year it was. Like when I was growing up, so in like the eighties, nineties, there were eight teams in the league, and two of them were called the Rough Riders. <laughs> there were the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Ottawa Rough Riders at the oh, same time. That's tough. Do you know who was first? <laughs> I I don't, and I just I just picture it like okay, you can name your your team anything you want. Just not the Rough Riders, and and them right. having a meeting, being like, "Yeah, yeah, we're gonna go with the Rough Riders." <laughs> that is too funny, man. Um, so, so you grew up. Wow, it turns out the Ottawa Rough Riders date all the way back to 1956. Oh, the CFL's old. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, the Ottawa Red Blacks was their original name. They're Uh-oh. back to that now because they have a team oh. again, and now they're okay. the, the Red Blacks. I didn't know that that predated. Rough Riders. So it's even stranger that they had a name change. But yeah, and now I'm reading this, and th- does that mean that the CFL predates the NFL? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Wow, I didn't realize that. Yeah. You know, Canada always does it right. Um, <laughs> so, so you grew up uh, what in the Toronto suburbs or downtown? Exactly. Uh, yeah, suburbs. I, uh, the city I grew up in is called Oakville. Mm-hmm. It's about thirty minutes from downtown Toronto, with you know no traffic. Okay. Uh, and, and is it yeah. the same deal around here? Like if you live that close, your parents work in Toronto? 
Mm, yeah, not my parents didn't. My mom was a stay at home mom. My dad worked in kind of another suburb. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, we grew up in, you know, my parents grew up in the suburbs on the other side of Toronto on the, uh, the Durham side is the name of it. And yeah, so that's just, that was home for me. And, uh, yeah, I had a pretty, you know, pretty normal suburban kind of upbringing, I guess. What did, uh, what did pops do for work? My dad worked for the company DuPont. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, huge, I guess, I guess like chemical company. They make everything, right? Like, yeah, yep. If you drive by a house, you might see DuPont written on like the sides. They make like Tyvek and they make refrigerants, which I had a summer job working there one time when I was in, uh, when I was in university, my dad got me a summer job and I worked in the, like the Freon department, <laughs> which was kind of random. But, what happens at the Freon department at DuPont? Uh, not much, honestly. I, well, I was, you know, just a summer student yeah, and I, yeah. and they had me do this. I built like a manual on like when they send someone to a job, what they do with the Freon. It's oh, like, okay. And it seemed like I was very, very not qualified to do something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like somebody's going That's to not, yeah. totally fuck up a, a air conditioning system because I said to do this. Yeah. Like, what the hell do I know? That sounds so. ke- chemically serious for a walk-on <laughs> job <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, it's funny. That means your dad and Milo Ackerman have worked for the same company. That's a long right. Time, That's right. Is, and I had, I had awesome. Milo on my show. Yeah, and I didn't know that he worked there until I oh, until okay. I had him on the podcast. I was like, "You're never going to believe this." My dad, my dad worked there for like 30 years. So it's, I got blown away too because when when I spoke to Milo, he had told me he lived in Delaware for a really long time, and I yep. was like, "Why the fuck did Milo live in Delaware?" It's like another Descendants record. Like Milo moves to Delaware, <laughs> I, it didn't really make sense to me. And then he explained the whole Dupont thing, and it made yeah. a lot more. And I had just recently seen that film. What was that film with Steve Carell where he played the uh, the the rich Dupont man who who tried to be a wrestler and ended up killing one of the wrestlers? Did you see this? I have no idea. No, I oh. don't, I missed this one. This it was like the first time everyone's like, oh, Steve Carell can act and go dark. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah, I got to remember the name of it, but but it was about that. Well, I when I was a kid, I there was many conversations about the potential of moving to Delaware. Because that's oh, for, for people that, that don't know, that's yeah. where the head office of DuPont is. <laughs> so we went down there one time. I remember, I don't know how old I would have been, eh, like 12 or 13. Uh-huh. And I was kind of at that age where I was like, you know what? I'm kind of down. Like, let's go. You know, wow, I, was like, yeah. I was like, and it was funny because I told everybody, yeah, like my family might might move to Delaware. And it's like the the Wayne's World thing. Of course. Hi, yeah. I'm in Delaware. Because that movie was like new at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and uh but I, I would have been down to do it. And I sometimes think about how, you know, my life would be different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I know I go through that exercise all the time on tour. It's a strange thing to not think about, right? You go by these dusty towns every once in a while with like 50 people in it and just be like, wait, what if I was like 12 and I lived here? Yeah. Like, am I the same person? You know, am I a different person? It's kind of yeah. always uh, an interesting exercise. Do you think... If you were in Delaware, you're you're still a uh, a twenty year in rock and roll singer. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd already, <laughs> hard to say. Right? At, the t- at the time, I was already immersed in music. Like, I I think I okay. was playing guitar and stuff. So, 
hey, maybe, maybe with you know Philadelphia right there, I'd yeah, I'd get to be in one of like Dan Yemen's bands or like or, yeah. you know be like a super cool guy. I don't know. He could have been in Boy Sets Fire. I that's think they were Delaware. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah they were right. like the only band I could think of that's from Delaware. Pretty, um, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I just talked to Nathan from Boy Sets Fire literally <laughs> last week. So that's, that's that's awesome. I love them. So you were saying you know you were um, a real like you know baseball basketball kid when you were growing up. So what? How did you get the uh, sort of the golden ticket into, you know, punk rock and the counterculture? Like, when did that start for you? Well, I have an older sister that is uh, six or seven years older than me. Okay. And, you know, so she always was like listening to cool music in her room and what I thought was cool music at the time, I guess, you know, <laughs> right. la- like loud music because she had a stereo and. I remember she, I wasn't allowed to go in there. So she would crank up her stereo and like, I just hear her like dancing around her room. And, you know, it was like everything from Jane's Addiction to Depeche Mode and oh, cool. Erasure, like a lot of The Cure, like, you know, that kind of like, I guess you maybe you call it New Wave or whatever. A lot of stuff like that. And one time she got this Metallica CD. Ooh. And I was like, what the fuck is that? Like, I never heard music like that before. And right away, I was sneaking into her room to listen to it. Ah. And do you remember what was, was this black album? The, the, this was uh, Injustice for All. So it was, it was the, the song One was the yes. like the first yes. time I heard that, that you know, uh, rapid fire, like the ending with the. There it is. Yes. Yeah. The first time I heard that, <laughs> I freaked out and I said to my sister, I said, what is that? Is that, is that guitar? Is that drums? What is that? Right. She's like, uh, I don't know. I think it's guitar. I was like, all right, I'm getting a guitar, you know? And, oh, wow. Um, okay. And well, my dad actually, my dad actually plays guitar. So he had, we had like an acoustic guitar around the house. Okay. Which I thought was like kind of boring. Are, are you your know, parents I, musical at all? Like, what, what's their kind of? Vibe yeah. That? Well, my dad, my dad plays guitar and piano, and he, I guess, he was in a band when he was a kid. Ooh. Um, Do you know the name? I don't know. I don't. Uh, he, he told me one time, it was something like uh, Dewey does and the don'ts, or something like some funny <laughs> fucking thing like that. But so it's like super seventies. It so, was yeah, yeah. super fifties. Honestly, my oh. dad's my dad's seventy six. So okay. Uh, but anyway. Uh, yeah, my dad. Uh, my dad plays like always was strumming guitar and like singing. And we, my my parents both play piano. My sister plays oh, piano. Cool. I don't play piano, which was kind of funny, but um, yeah. So we like pretty musical family, and and always enjoyed music. And my parents were playing like my mom really likes like Led Zeppelin and Hendrix, and would play those records when I was a kid and stuff. But but really, it wasn't until I heard one Metallica's one that I was like, okay, I, I want to do this. Hmm. And then it just got, yeah, it just escalated into getting all the Metallica CDs. And then what's this Slayer band all about? And, oh, there's this other one called Pantera. Okay. And then, okay, I'm going to buy this magazine that comes with a CD. And then mm-hmm. what's like, you know, um, what's Cannibal Corpse and what's, you know, all those like Napalm Death and all these other like, it, it kind of got more and more extreme mm-hmm. and then started finding out about local shows and going to, you know, see local bands. And where I grew up, most of the local shows were either like bad new metal, right. which I wasn't really into or punk rock. Okay. So that's kind of when I started to hear about, you know, different punk bands. And I think that was around the time when green day and offspring were getting really popular. So then, 
I heard about, you know, uh, Rancid and No Effects. And then from there, that was it, man. It was like all the Fat Records compilations and and Epitaph bands and um, Hopeless Records too was huge. Uh, Hopeless Records, to me, that early stuff doesn't get enough credit. Like mm, what kind 80, of stuff? 88 Fingers Louie. And sure. One of my favorite, they were one of, one of my favorite bands ever. Yeah. Um, just the, the Hopelessly Devoted to You compilations. Like yeah. those were my shit because... You know, in Canada, we didn't have, I shouldn't say this because it's not really true. Like we could get records and CDs, but it wasn't as easy to get them as in the States. And they were just so expensive. Uh, yeah. Sure. So, um, uh, but, but yeah, so I did a lot of mail order, like mail ordered almost everything from Hopeless and everything from Fat Records <laughs> when, <laughs> oh, I like, just when I was like, when I was like 16. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause it was like, you know, like 10 bucks for a CD and Shipping was cheap, and that was like way better than going to HMV and paying, you know, twenty four ninety nine or whatever. It was like yeah. crazy. So, what was it like? You know, you're you know you're a little kid, and you hear Metallica one. I also had a very uh, pretty cathartic moment with that song, and it it actually had a lot to do with the video. Um, oh yeah, yeah. It was like one of the first times I just yeah. saw like that kind of content on MTV that was like dark and broody and scary and. You know, I had that the footage from the Johnny Get His Gun video um, film, and yeah. Johnny, and and it terrified me. And I was like, I, I I don't think I realized you could mix like music and that kind of message until I'd heard it. So, what was it like, you know, about you at that time that was like attracted to that kind of, you know, maybe energy, the heaviness, like yeah. the darkness? Was there like something that was pulling you another way, like when you were a little kid? You know. I, I would love to say that there was because that's like way better for entertainment, for a story, <laughs> for like for yeah. fucking Kerrang! magazine. Maybe <laughs> right. will put me on a cover if I say that, you know. But the Shane told story. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, yeah. But honestly, like, no. I, I, I okay. remember when my sister got the Black Album because I think the Black Album was coming out and my sister was listening to Injustice for All or at least the song one, like kind of getting ready for it. Oh, okay. I think it was around that time. Because when my sister got the Black Album, it was like, I couldn't believe it. I, I, I was like, I'd, I felt like I'd heard it before. Mm. You know, like like it spoke to me in a way. Like I remember that intro to um, Wherever I May Roam, that riff. Like hearing that and just, I swear, like I had like I had deja vu and I didn't even know what that was. I was like 10, you know? Yeah, and there's that big ass church bell on it. Like, dung, yeah, dun, 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 dun. exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's so and, gnarly. And, and so I don't know what it was that, that, that just, it spoke to me, you know, right away. And it was, I just, just liked it. And I, and I, I wish that I had, that I could say all these, yeah, I was like, oh, had a, had a, like my parents, like, my parents are still together. They're going to be married for 50 years in May. Oh, that's awesome. 50th anniversary in May, good, May 13th. Good. So like I had a great upbringing and, you know, really nothing in my life that could be looked at as like really tough, which right. I know isn't, isn't great for an interview, but no, that's the truth. Right. And I appreciate um, it. Yeah. Honestly. And I love, I love that. I just, that music just spoke to me and you're right about that video too, because I remember hearing like they actually had other audio dubbed over the video that's not in the oh, song right. on the record, right, which I thought right, was right. so crazy and like pretty cool uh, at the time. It's still pretty cool, actually. 
Yeah, I mean, isn't he in that video? He's literally like saying, kill me in Morse yeah. code. Like, that's yeah. that's some rough shit for daytime MTV. <laughs> like, like when you're Absolutely. like 11. Yeah, it's brutal. Well, I think that's totally. good. And actually, when you say that, it makes me think, you know, uh, you know, through the years, I've seen so many people have to like put themselves through the ringer to perform or to create, you know, and they right. feel like it has to come from this place. And then so many people wind up on the other side as they get older where they're like, you know, I kind of wish I didn't approach it like that. And there is actually a way for me to be a creatively active person and not fucking miserable simultaneously. Right. And I think it's a nice story to hear every once in a while that you like, you don't have to do that. Like you don't have to go through pain and or agony or you don't have to have this thing to actually be a, a very prolific and creative person, you know? No, totally. And I mean, sure, I went through the pain and all that later. <laughs> that, sure, that, sure. That still happened. No, yeah, oh, yeah. You're no not worries. free of it. No, but, yeah. but, but when I was, you know, 10, like I didn't have, you know, thank God I didn't have any, you know, any sort of abuse or, or any like right. things like that happened to me because, you know, I hear, hear the stories all the time about how many people close to me went through these awful, awful experiences when they were a child. And I feel lucky the more older I get, the more lucky I feel that I, you know, had really good, really good surroundings, sure. a really good family and extended family and, you know, some, just some great people in my life. I mean, as far as your lyrics are concerned, it would, you know, allude to me that you're a empathetic person in general who can just kind of not only see, but maybe feel the pain a little bit of people around you. So, oh, you yeah. know, like no, that, totally. that can be just as useful uh, as an exercise and experience, right? Yeah. No, a lot of the, like the, the song, for example, the song, my heroine, one of our most popular songs right. was, yeah. I wrote that about a friend that went to his house to kind of check on him. Cause he was going through a dark time. And I was like, dude, it was like, it's like a fucking heroin den in here. Uh, you know, like it was, yeah. it was like, you know, and that, that's kind of what inspired me to write that. It was sure. a, another person's sure struggle. So yeah, absolutely. That, that happens all the time. Um, and sometimes it's weird because you can get a different perspective when you're looking at something from that angle than when you're involved in it. Sometimes when you're involved in it, you're so close to it. Yeah. It's hard right. to almost explain it, you know? Mm hmm. So. Yeah, that's true. Cause you're not, you're not coming with it from a, it's not too over, overcome with emotion, right? I guess. If you, if, well, I guess yeah, it can be. It's, Maybe it's not just so different. much. Yeah. You can just see yeah. it from kind of, both sides like it's like a narrator you know in a, in a right. movie explaining right. something better than a character could you know that's interesting that's, that's sometimes i think what happens but then there's other times when you'll write something that's just so in your in your own feeling and in your in your own moment that if you get it out right so many other people have gone through that same feeling or that emotion that if you can describe it the right way it can resonate so, you know, so well with so many other people too, which is, you know, which is an incredible talent that yeah. some people possess, you know? Yeah. hundred percent. So, I mean, moving ahead a little, like, yeah. you know, in Toronto in the area, when you all were coming up, there was sort of a very uh, vibrant, you know, scene um, yeah. with that kind of music, right? Like who, like Alexis on fire, but uh, Monine, um, yep. oh, uh, Boys Night Out, like those yeah. kinds of bands. Like, yep. um, 
you know, we're, was the big that four right there? Is, oh, is <laughs> the that Canada? It? No, guys? I'm, I'm, I'm just making this up right now, but that's that's funny. We could say that we were the, we were, we were the uh, the big four of of I of the it. Toronto suburbs in 2004. I mean, I'm an old school hardcore kid, so for me, <laughs> it was like chokehold, yeah, yeah. New Day Rising, uh, oh, great, man. you know, like all that stuff. But you know, New Day Rising. Did you know New Day Rising's back? I did actually hear yeah. about that. New Day Rising was. Like one of my favorite deep cut bands that you like discovered through seven inches and I and yeah. videos of like random festivals, but I never actually saw them like in the flesh. But uh, their split with despair was a, a very, very important seven inch to me. I sure. love the New Day Rising side. Um, yeah, man. So what was going on at that time? I mean, it, it seems like everyone is sort of fueling each other and and kind of had this really like vibrant community going on. Was it? The, the same for you being inside of it? Yeah, it, it really was, you know? I think it, it was so cool. And I think the only thing was, I, I definitely took it for granted a little bit. I think I didn't realize until we started touring and going other places that our scene was special. Mm, right, right. And, you know, I, I knew about, of course, like you can talk about New York or New Jersey or, um, you know, all the random pockets that have great scenes all over the place, like those exist. And I just kind of figured like everywhere had that. Right. Yeah. But then I, you know, but when, when growing up, like we would have a show, local show Friday night at the local YMCA or community center, there'd be like 300 people and it didn't matter who was playing, you know? And I, and that doesn't happen. And I, you know, uh, I, just thought that that kind of happened everywhere. Oh yeah, you'd be in a band, you go on tour, and you know, you just people come, right, right, right. <laughs> and, until 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 we're in Little Rock, Arkansas, and there's like 15 people there, you yes. know, and we and we have a record out on Victory. Like then yeah. it's like a rude awakening as to you know how things are. So I think it wasn't until that that I was like, wow, we had not only so many people excited about what the bands were doing, but so many great bands too. And I think just the the scene just kind of fed off each other you know like yeah. you had to be pretty good to kind of be in the same world as as these bands so it's it was no surprise that that you know the four bands you mentioned all did really well for a long time and then you know there's so many bands that i could name that just kind of never just, just you know just didn't make it for whatever reason you know who, who somebody, is your who is your favorite band that like we haven't heard of there was this band called the stick up mm -hmm. good name super short lived band they had an ep which i helped put out actually and they were kind of like a sort of like an all-star band bunch of guys from a bunch of different different local bands that were all really good and they just made this awesome like six song ep and epitaph was interested in them so oh, they okay. like sent epitaph like the CD or whatever. And then Epitaph was like, yeah, it's good. But like, yeah, just, just like, we're just not sure right now. Like just drag their feet on it. Yeah. And the band was like, ah, fuck this. We're breaking up. I guess we're no good. And Ugh. it's like, that's not how it works. Like, you know, yeah. like you just, and the singer like moved to China and became like a, you know, like a teacher over there or something. So it just was like one of those things where if the band just didn't get frustrated and just continued, Think about how much better they would have gotten everything because right. all they ever released was six songs and they they're six bangers. Ugh. So 
there's that's the, the one that got stories. away. Yeah, there's tons of stories like that from from all over the place. Sure. You know, because I I've always said like I believe the best song, the best songs, the best bands ever out there, none of us have heard them. Mm, you know, right, think about how right. many people have yes. sat in their bedroom and wrote this like incredible song and just nobody nobody ever heard it. Yeah. Or or you just have to assume that like you know, every scene that gained a lot of notoriety or, oh, what is this music that somebody's playing? I just always assume the person or people who started doing it first, like died broke right, and hungry. And then all the, like, it's always the second generation that gets the, uh, the spoils of the work, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yep. Yeah. And, and yeah, thank, and that's what, thank God for the band grade because without grade, <laughs> right. Where's Silverstein? We don't exist. So yeah. straight up, you know, that's like, that was the band that I saw play that I said, this is like, this is the band for me. Like, like this is, I want to do this. This is like, this is the most inspiring band, um, for me. So that's my biggest influence. Yeah. Definitely grade local band that, put out some very good records on victory and just kind of, I don't know. They just broke up, unfortunately. Yeah. Great. I think, you know, it's interesting you brought that. I wanted to talk about it later because, you know, grade was one of the first bands for me at the time that I thought really effectively was like, cause you know, at the time when most people in the hardcore scene tried to sing, it didn't go all that well, you know, <laughs> like, like more often than not. Yep. And, you know, uh, for me, with the bands that I was into, like Grade and Boyce It's Fire were the first two where, you know, they're going into these parts where I'm like, oh, shit, like they're singing. Like he can really sing. This is different, you know? Yeah, totally. And I remember hearing Separate the Magnets for the first time and that shit put me on my ear down in New Jersey for sure. Because <laughs> yeah. we were part of that scene too. Like, um, can you talk about grade a little for people who may not know him? And then I, I'm also curious to you, like, as we just alluded to, who do you think was the real like predecessor to this type of music? Like, like where mm. was grade getting it from? Where was voice? It's fire getting it from. Like what were the things that actually started this? I, I know this is kind of like a, a Raiders of the Lost Ark sort of question at this point, because, <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's a lot of different theories or places, yeah. but, well, but where do you think it, it, it like really stemmed from? Well, well, first of all, well, I, well, I think of bands that influence grade, I'll talk about, you know, grade and pretty, pretty much they're, they're a band from Canada, a local band that work kind of the, to me, the first band where the singer did both the singing and the screaming. Mm-hmm. And what was, he was Kyle, Kyle Bishop's his name, just yeah, right. such a dynamic front man, like just stage presence. He has stage presence, like fucking Mick Jagger, you know, Yeah, he had like great there. hair, right? Like even in the nineties, yeah. like, yeah. yeah, like great, honestly paved the way for 18 visions and yeah. fashion core and all yeah. that, like that whole thing mm-hmm. too, you know, and that, that was Kyle, like to me single-handedly, but I, I gotta say Knowing Kyle and knowing how deep his, well, how big his record collection is basically, but just Mm. the kind of person he is, I I honestly have to give them a lot of credit for starting that. And I don't know if Boy Sits Fire, what they would say, you know, um, and I just talked to Nathan, I should have asked him, but, you know, like what they would say they got it from, but I think... We found the same thing happened 
when you know we we emerged and then everybody was like oh you sound like uh, this band census fail from new jersey and we're like <laughs> right. well i i don't know i guess kind of like but why because we never talked to each other mm-hmm. you know i i didn't know who anything about them and we just kind of came to the same conclusions about where music was going right and we'd heard okay we'd heard the get up kids and then we'd heard poison the well and then somehow that's kind of what our bands sounded like you know mm. if you kind of mash those up in a yeah sure in a in a soup so you know so i don't know um that's tough to say though because for me a, a lot of the bands that kind of came before that were either hardcore bands or or weren't <laughs> and yeah right, like I, it's hard right. to think of what was the band that voice it's fire and grade kind of got it from and i don't i don't really know if there's yeah. an answer if there's well, like really I, I, that yeah. one band or something you know I'm, I'm going back in my head like right now and i'm thinking you know what were the heavy bands that sang ever and there was an element of that in like the 80s new york hardcore scene um you know a band like leeway or mm-hmm. those bands were i mean it was coming from a metal point of view not uh you know a melod like very melodic point of view but they were screaming singing you know, and then I think about maybe the some of that you know, early West Coast stuff. You know, Dag Nasty, yeah, Dag early, Nasty's early a, Pennywise, uh, going yeah, into the Jersey totally. stuff like Lifetime, uh, Turning Point, Vision. You know, I think, I think Life, I think Lifetime definitely is a great band to bring up, and they're one of my favorite bands ever because they kind of were blending that, but yeah. obviously, like they weren't doing the chug chug thing, right. Right. Yeah. And got so away it was kind from of like, it even more as it was they kind grew, of yeah. exactly. So kind of blending blending in some of those like melodic hardcore bands. Dag Nasty is a is a great example too. Yeah. So I, I yeah. I mean even even Gorilla Biscuits like right. yes. had has has yeah. singing, you know, Civ it's in not general. screaming. Yeah. 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 So like even yeah. that, it's just like, okay. And and then by the same token, you know, ten years after that or at ten years after Grade Herd Gorilla Biscuits or, or Leeway or, who, or whoever, I heard great and said, okay, I want to do that, but I want to sing like Newfound Glory. You know what I mean? I want right, to yeah. find what's the what's the next step here. Right, the next to, evolution of it, yeah. And and that's kind of where we came in. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, now it's on a whole new level, you know? 20 years later, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So. How many, how many um, uh, generations of the fold have gone past you now? Like, is there like two more scenes since Silverstein started now. Like, uh, yeah, I've lost to, count. To, to muddy this question even further. It's, well, yeah. it's it's so strange though, right? How everything is just like ex- exploded in so many directions. Like, is there a scene anymore? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right? Like it used to Hard be, to say. Yeah. used to be that there was, you, you'd you hear a band, someone would play you a record and you'd be like, oh yeah, this band's probably from New York or you hear this band, and you'd be like, oh, this band's probably from California. Right. You know, yes. now you hear, now you hear something even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And it's like, I don't know, Ohio? Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, no, it doesn't matter now. Like, sounds don't dictate, dictate, uh, but I mean, I mean, areas don't dictate sounds really anymore at all. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So I don't know that, that concept of the local scene, you know, I, I, well, obviously they still have local scenes, but yeah, like you're, you're known to, uh, people all over the world before people next door even know who you are oh, at this yeah. point, that's, yeah, which is strange wild. when you hear yeah. about bands playing their first show and there's like a thousand people there <laughs> sold out. Like. Yes. I try not to judge. I mean, it's so <laughs> antithetical to like the way we did it, it yeah. or I did it. But oh, like, yeah. you know, I also am like, Hey, like if you didn't have to do all that bullshit, I good for you. Like, it's like, uh, uh, it's like those people in the States who are like, we shouldn't pay for old student loans. Cause I had to pay mine, you know? Right. Like, like I'm okay with people getting the, you know, a little bit of an easier road if they need to. The one thing I'm curious about, because you have sort of the double uh, insight for the fact that you are a singer, but also somebody who, you know, does a podcast uh, for many years interviewing other singers. And, you know, one of the things that always fascinates me is like sort of the, you know, the psychology of people getting into this. And, you know, I was wondering after all this time, you know, for yourself and speaking to other people, what are some of the real consistent threads you've seen with the really prolific and successful singers and really some of the consistent threads you've seen for the ones who struggle personally and maybe Hmm. like go off the rail? It's a great question. And yeah, damn dude. And it's true. I I have been doing podcast for a long time. I have episode 300 coming up next week. Nice. Congratulations. Yeah. I've, I have awesome. Jake Bannon from Converge, which I'm pretty, oh, that's a pretty great excited about that yeah. one. Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked on it. But, but no, to answer your question, I think, you know, the people that, the people that when I, when I say, okay, I'm going to call you at this time and they answer their phone <laughs> and we do the podcast and they don't like say, oh, sorry, I forgot. Or like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to reschedule. 
generally speaking, like those also is pretty tied to the level of success. I hate mm. to say it, mm. but, and I think it just goes, it really comes down to how much work and care that people put into it. Wow. And I know it's an easy answer, but just so much of the time, that's what I see. You know, people take it seriously, every single thing they do, um, and they work hard on it, and they seem to reap the benefits of of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, the people that, that don't or don't care or, or you know, say whatever, those, those are typically the people that do, you know, that's just what happens. And, and it's amazing how much in music these days is about that. Hmm. Because I feel like coming up, you know, you put out a record every couple of years you tour and then you know now it's like every day you need to be working on something right you want to you like people you have to stand in front of people's faces whether it's like you're working on social media you're working on this other project or you're doing something like if you want to be a working musician and you want to make a living at this and you want to continue to grow you have to work hard at it yeah and some people don't have that in their dna and that's why a lot of people kind of just they've fallen to you know out of relevancy it's sad to say because they're yeah. still very talented people yeah right do, i mean do you believe that to be a like a core principle in somebody like some people are just know how to work and know how to buckle down and some people don't or do you think these are mm-hmm. skills that somebody could pick up if they were focused oh, on it i think so i mean i think i think definitely it, it can be something that can be picked up or some people just need some help Right, 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 right. Oh, like like, knowing where you're bad and asking for some help. Yeah, knowing where you're bad or or having a person in your band or a manager. Like some people need that stuff, you know? Mm, Like I I have a pretty – I'm pretty hands-on with everything I do. You know, I I do the podcast basically 100% myself. I have an editor now, which is really great. But That's cool. For years, you know, I did everything from the artwork to the scheduling to the editing to the – you know, writing the fucking description, which is my least favorite part. Yeah. And your Patreon is very nice and it kind of makes me feel a little inadequate about art. I'll be honest with you. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, I do all that stuff myself and that's great, but you know, I've renovated a fucking house this week too. Like I'm, I'm, I'm go, go, go with, with my life and that's how I choose to live. But some people like they need help. They need someone to help them with all these things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. But, you just need to recognize where you're at with it. You know, I think that's a, that's a big thing. Yeah. That's interesting. So, I mean, that, that's part of your nature where you kind of have to be driving and working all the time. So I can imagine, uh, it seems as if, you know, COVID was sort of the first time in your adult life that you were operating (laughs) without tour and in and out as part of said life. So where did you, um, see any real changes to yourself, uh, positive or negative as, as a result? Um, not really. I think, I think myself along with most of the world just kind of had a freak out where at the beginning, you know, we got stopped in the middle of a tour, you know, 20th mm-hmm. anniversary yeah, tour, right. 10 shows in. Okay. Go home. Yeah. I saw right and- on Rudy Gobert day. Right. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Rudy <laughs> March eleventh, Rudy yep. Gobert Day. That's right. Yep. And we had to go home and it was like, okay, well, there's our money for the year. 
you know, basically is like our biggest tour ever to date. Yeah. And you just start to worry like, okay, now what, what, you know? And and it's like, okay, well I've got this podcast and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And I just started saying yes to like every single Mm. thing because I thought I needed to. You know? Right, right, right. Because yeah, you had to fill that bucket, like right. Like, yeah, well, yeah. I'm home. I need to be doing something, and yeah, I'm like worried about finances. Even though I had no reason to be worried about finances or anything like that, I just, you know, you don't know how long this pandemic's going to last, and you don't know. And, and, I mean, if I knew it was going to be this long, I'd probably be freaking out more. <laughs> yeah, but, well, yeah, right, right. But I mean, you know, so I, yeah, I honestly, just just did so much shit that it was a little overwhelming mm. and uh, some of it's been great, you know, like getting into things like Twitch and, you know, some of the other stuff I've done, like some of the, you know, songwriting and stuff I've done with some other people, like that stuff's been really great. But I, if I had to go back, I'd be like, man, I'm going to, I should really be enjoying this break. Mm, right, <laughs> right. Right. Cause I could have enjoyed a break and instead of, of not having to go on tour for a year and a half, I like just killed myself, uh, you know, at home. Right. And now I'm, and I, I'm always trying to kind of adjust and figure out, okay, what, where, what is a like healthy amount of yeah projects on the go and what should I do and what should I say no to? And, you know, that kind of thing. Cause it can be, it can be a challenge cause I've got a lot of things going on. Sure. I mean, that being said, uh, you know, Obviously, you jumped into, you know, you were one of those bands, right, who almost not started on the internet, but a lot of your early success, right, was on like MySpace and some of the early uh, web pages, right? And now, you know, you guys are heavy into live streams and you're doing right. the thing. And, you know, what do you think is uh, the balance for bands and people our age, kind of mm-hmm. between like aging gracefully, but also using these services like to our advantage? You're right. Yeah. Nobody wants to be the like Steve Buscemi with a skateboard <laughs> right. little fellow kid Hello, like that kids. meme. Yeah. You know? Um but, but, I'm on TikTok now changing my daughter's diaper. Like yeah. Right. Yeah. There's there's so there's a certain level of cringe that I don't want to enter. Yes, yes. You know, in in these So various, where's that line? You various platforms. It's yeah. a Benny, it's a great question. And, and you know, the the truth of it is like I couldn't fucking believe when our drummer Paul made us a website in the year 2000. Okay. <laughs> right. I was like, what the fuck do we need a website for? You know? <laughs> yeah. Like that was, that was honestly like what? Like bands, like I guess Metallica has a website. But yeah. Like, right. Yeah. What, why do we need a website? <laughs> so, you know, there was a lot of that and I got to give him some credit for, he's, he, you know, he's our manager and also like always pushing forward with things. Cool. And being, we were one of the first bands to sign up for MySpace. So we were at the top of all the fucking lists. <laughs> right. That oh, was right. part yeah. of it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah. And, and it, 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 it we, we weren't really a, like people want to say, oh, we got big on MySpace. It, it wasn't really true. Like okay. we, we were on MySpace and, you know, I'm sure it helped our popularity, but like, you know, before that, we had already put out two pretty big records on victory and oh yeah we'd already like yeah, we were already true. selling out house of blues rooms and stuff but that's yeah that's true but but i will say we have always embraced and not shied away from the new things coming out right you know 
like we we got an Instagram account when that was a thing, and <laughs> I mean, I guess the only one now we're like kind of. Uh, and uh, have a little bit of trepidation about is TikTok because <laughs> right, yeah. I just don't know if I have the capacity to do it, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> yeah. But that being said, I think every step of the way we're thinking about it, and we don't want to, you know, it's not just missing opportunities, but you know, we're not. We don't want to be like this this jaded old band that says like, oh, back in our day, <laughs> right? Fucking MySpace was the best. Like MySpace was cool, but MySpace wasn't that great. No, no, you it know? was it was fine. It was fine. It served a purpose. Yeah, well, that's cool. So <laughs> Shane, this is the part of the podcast called Mystery Friend. <laughs> Where mm. I went ahead and talked to somebody you know. Oh, and, cool. And got some stories. And uh, I'd like you to regale me with these stories. And then guess which one of your mystery friends told me. Oh, um, man. So the first story in question, which I am quite excited to hear about, uh, happened, uh, I believe, in around 09 at the Higher Ground in Burlington, Vermont. And uh, apparently it was a bit of a sleepy night. <sighs> And uh, someone went ahead and took a neon letter from a Quiznos sign or <laughs> yeah, something, put yeah. it in the bus. And then I heard all night long, people were saying, you got subbed. <laughs> so <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about this? I knew I knew right when you said higher ground yeah. that it was going to be the Quiznos sign. Yes. You got subbed. Yes. And I thought to myself, was it Quiznos or Subway? That, that entered okay, my head just yeah. now. And, and I, it was Quiznos. Um, does anyone eat at Quiznos anymore? That place was pretty uh, good. I, I went there once and I was like, Jesus, did you just heat up my fucking lettuce? And I never went there again. Oh. Yeah. No, they put the lettuce on afterwards. But uh, no, okay. I, I feel like that was one of those places that had mad hype and they opened like all these locations and they just all closed. That seems right. Yeah. yeah. That seems right. Um. Okay. Yes. We, yes, we were in Vermont. I rem- it was the first day of tour. Oh, so we were all like a little excited, you yeah, know? Right, right. One of those kind of things. The dance in the pants. Who do you remember who you were touring with? Ah, oh, God. I, f- I want to say it was like a B market tour, or like we were doing like one offs or something. Okay, okay. Um, because, but you know, I can look up the Silverstein tour archive and I can tell you exactly because <laughs> we have a very cool thing on our website. Uh, but, but yeah, no, we, we were just really excited. And, and yeah, I remember we, we, I don't think I was there. I think I might've been trying to do the lead singer thing <laughs> right? and like, you know, sleep, but <laughs> yeah. I remember hearing the commotion and I definitely saw the, saw the Quiznos letter at, at, at some point. <laughs> so, so, so somebody took it and put it in the bus. Yeah. Someone, no, in the, in someone's bunk. <laughs> So, so, so they like were huge... surprised by a Quiznos letter in yeah. their bunk. Oh, yeah, like so they went. Funny. They was like, it was like, uh, hey, uh, and I'm trying to remember who the fuck it was. Like, I, I'm trying to think of who was touring with us at that. I point. heard it was in your old guitar player Neil's bunk. Oh, okay, then that's what it was. I, I so yes, we were we were all hanging out, and the the I think the sign letter was in his bunk, and it was like, hey Neil, 
are you feeling a little tired? Maybe you want to go to bed. <laughs> so that when he opens his bunk curtain, there's the letters there. And then oh it's like, God. okay, now what are you going to do with it? <laughs> so what what did happen with it? I mean, it's not like you can just drive around with that letter, right? It's, I, it's, it's, I you could get want, arrested. <laughs> well, I want to say that, that the bus letter was taken out of the bus before we departed. Okay. I don't think we took it to another another uh a city but i i don't i also think it don't i think it was like on the ground like i don't think someone like took it from the oh, okay so this like this climbed was, up yeah, and stole it this was gonna be my follow-up question i mean the letter in the bunk is one thing but how did it get there i mean that's kind of the bigger question like yeah. who who got it no i think it was like a broken fallen down Quiznos oh, sign okay. which Maybe that was foreshadowing for the entire Quiznos franchise and how fallen <laughs> far they've fallen. Because I, I was picturing like Bill up on a ladder, like you know, disconnecting, <laughs> uh, disconnecting a neon sign or something. You know, no, but but uh, that's we we don't put that past us. All right, I got the you got sub story. That's okay. funny. I don't remember that you got subbed. But that's yeah, really so good. apparently, yeah, apparently that's what everybody was yelling out is you got subbed, which <laughs> which I appreciate. And then yes. the other story I'd like to hear about apparently was in uh, Vienna, Austria, about a year later, and I heard that you all ran upon a uh, a Krampus day parade. Oh yeah. Tell me about that. Yes. Because someone just filled me in on the real story of Krampus, and it's creepy. Yeah. So, actually, it was not Vienna. It was Austria. It was oh, okay. I believe it was either Linz or Graz. Okay. And okay. we, yeah, we were uh, on tour with Billy Talent, and we had a day off. It's a huge, you know, huge tour. And we're just, like, chilling, you know, like, getting beers or coffees or buying shoes or, like, whatever you do on a day off on tour in <laughs> right. Europe. Yeah, and all of a sudden, there's just these monster people <laughs> everywhere, like looking all menacing. Like if anybody knows what a, what a, the Krampus like looks like, and they're just like running around the streets and like hitting people with <laughs> branches, like sticks. Oh my god! And like sometimes just it's pretty random, hard, like random unaffiliated people. Yeah, just people like hanging out. So like some of us like got hit with these, and <laughs> and their people are like everywhere. So we were like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what is this? Is this a thing that, that you know, happens in, like, the city like, <laughs> right. or whatever? And it just happened to be that one day a year that they do this. Wow. And it got pretty gnarly, though, because I guess, I guess it's, like, look, what do you have in New York when, when everybody dressed up like Santa Claus? What's that oh, called? A Santa Con. Yeah, and everybody, like, but people are all, like, drunk and, like, doing yeah. bad shit, right? Worst thing ever, yeah. Yeah, worst thing ever. So I, I guess that that's the the knock with this is that it's the same thing. Like people are all liquored up and wearing uh, masks. And like, so this one, like we, we saw, we were just standing there like looking around like, what the hell is this? And this woman got like hit with the, the branches, you know, like on the back or whatever. And she pushed the Krampus <laughs> and the Krampus smoked her in the face with Whoa. the, with the, yeah, with the branches. <gasps> and it was like gnarly. And I was like, we were like, oh shit, like this is kind of like, you know, it's like, it's, it's weird though, because the Santa thing, it's like, okay, it's like, you're dressed up as Santa, like ho, 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 like jolly. Yeah, those this are just is, like drunk dressed up idiots like bar crawling. Yeah. yeah, but these are drunk idiots wearing like monster costumes, which is like kind of fucked, you know? Yeah. It's so, like a guar concert, like gone out of control. Yeah, like. it, kind, kind of. 
Yeah, it kind of looks like Guar a little bit. Was like, it kind of uh, menacing? Because like I've seen yeah. these pictures of, you know, the Krampus actually looks a lot like I don't know if you've. It's what we named the hockey team after. There is an actual tale of the Jersey Devil in New Jersey. Um, oh, okay. And that's okay. what the hockey team got their name from. And it was this. Uh, I've read a couple books on the Jersey Devil, and it. I do think he was real, and it was sort of like a half horse, something animal that lived in the middle of nowhere, looked really creepy, had kind of like the forked tongue, the one hoof, the one human foot, just like Krampus. Um, yeah. Very creepy stuff. Yeah. So that, that sounds sort of, sort of menacing. Yeah, no, totally. And, and yeah, I, I don't know exactly when, like it's, I think it's like a day that they do it. Um, wow. Yeah. Every year in early December, uh, every year in early December, they they uh, they do it in Austria. So, yeah, that's so we happen to be there that one day, and yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty wild. How about now? Like, time. what are we talking? Like, how many Krampuses are we talking about? Oh, hundreds! Whoa, hundreds! Yeah, hundreds! Yeah, it was like all over the city. Like everywhere you looked, they so were. It's, they were so like, it's around. not like you could have fought back at the Krampuses after hitting you with a stick. Like what? No. What do you think would have happened in the, you know, say a shitty American like me was sitting there, and got hit with a stick? And my shitty American mentality popped in and I started fighting Krampus. What do you I think would have happened? I would I've been beaten by like 50 Krampuses? Probably, yeah. Wow. Krampus yeah, beat like, down. <laughs> <laughs> you're, like, I think you're supposed to kind of know, okay, they're going to hit you. And it's like, that's just the thing. Yeah. But it was some people definitely were like hitting people too hard and <laughs> it, hitting people that didn't want to be hit. And I uh, saw, we saw it escalate. Wow. Like a couple times, but that was the worst one when the when the girl got hit in the face. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, that's really crazy and so random. Like, I remember uh, I one time in Holland, I saw those very controversial Black Pete parades. You know where they? I, I don't know what they do it every year, but I'm sitting there one day and I'm like, "Jesus Christ, is that like a dozen fucking Dutch people in blackface?" Oh, and man. I was like so horrified. I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't know anything about that. Yeah, that's, it's, that's weird. It's a, a custom they have there that a lot of normal people are trying to get rid of, and uh, yeah. you know, old people who, well, you know, Ooh. to to conserve is a word inside of conservative. Um, oh <laughs> so, boy, so. I'm, yeah, I'm reading about it. No, this is gnarly. Yeah, no, it's not good. No, not good. Not and good. I actually saw it, and I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" Without knowing anything about it. Um, okay, Oof. so yeah, who do you think told me these stories? You got subbed, and and the Krampus parade. <laughs> so because I know your relationship, mm -hmm. I am going to guess that it's uh, Mr. Danny Del Principe. Oh, you got to go even deeper. Not Danny Del Principe. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go You're with... You're in the uh, right genre. Joe Amato. That's it. Jersey ah! Joe. Joe Amato. I love Joe Amato. Oh, he's my favorite person. Have, have not talked to him in a, in a very, very long time. This is but, how the conversation uh, goes with Joe yesterday, because you'll appreciate this. You know, Joe is one of the most anti-New Jersey people you'll ever meet, because he's a, a true New Yorker who actually, you know, they have this bizarre idea about New Jersey. And, uh, you know, I, he moved to New Jersey. So, oh of course, to me, his new nickname is Jersey Joe, you know, because <laughs> I, I got to fuck with him. And uh, and I hit him up yesterday. He still has his New York area code. And I'm like, look at this Jersey Joe with the New York area code. He goes, when I die, 
take me and that phone and roll me back over the border. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's the man we're talking about. That's <laughs> really good. Yeah, that sounds perfect. No, classic I absolutely, human. Absolutely love love Joe, yeah. and he's not like a really a social media guy. No, not at all. So yeah. so yeah, I, I kind of feel like that's. Yeah, I don't really keep in touch with him, unfortunately. No social Man, media, I, a green texter. If you want to talk to Joe, you got to give him a call, you know? Yeah. Old school. Yep. He's always old go. school. I don't mind it. <laughs> well, that was fun. Um, yeah. One thing I wanted to get, you know, Silverstein, I honestly hadn't even realized, you know, how uh, prolific of a career you've all had, you know, since we were going into this interview. I mean, it's essentially been uh, a new album Every two years since 03, for the most part. And you're up yep. to what? 10 studio albums. And in that time, you've only had uh, one major uh, member change. And, yep. you know, one thing I always find fascinating doing these interviews, like, you know, the uh, threads in what makes bands successful and what makes bands not successful. What Over all these years, 20 years of doing this band, what are some maybe tricks you've learned in communication or personal ways you've developed as a band that, that work for you and, and things you may be able to like advise a younger band on. Totally. I think, yeah, I think um, consistency with what you're doing is, is really important. You know, I think like we've put out records consistently. Like, yeah, we, we, the joke was we put one out every, uh, every, two years on the even years until we <laughs> right. put out the record in 2020. We broke the cycle. Yeah. We fucked it all up. The whole world went out of whack. Yeah. Like we oh, put that... It was your fault. <sighs> if only we'd put out that record in, in a few months earlier in 2019, then we would have been no Rudy you know, Gobert day. Right. It, it's, but, but no, I think the consistency when you're in a band is important. I think one thing we never did was chased any kind of trends Mm-hmm. tried to try to go into writing a record saying okay we're gonna make like this like this kind of record because like this is popular right now and i mean you remember the fucking some of the trends that have come and gone like when bands were making like putting dubstep in their music and sure. shit like you know like how how bad is that looking back you know <laughs> so i think we were always conscious of that and sure we had some bad haircuts but we never went like the full fashion you know, stuff like we were always pretty, you know, we were just like who we were, you sure. know, we never tried to be anything that we weren't mm-hmm. and just being real with not only each other, but also with our fan base and, and everything and treating everybody with respect and not burning bridges and, you know, just trying to be nice to everybody. I think it just, that goes such a long way. Um, in terms of like advice for younger bands, I think, Definitely, like, don't try to maintain like a level of we're all in this together. You know what I mean? And and I know. Do you mean uh, between the members of the band or yeah, between the members? Yeah, yeah, between the members of the band. Like, try really try to like unified goals. Maybe yeah, really try to exactly really try to be like unified on goals and and have everybody in the band trying to play some kind of a role. Like, Mm, obviously not maybe not everybody. Not everybody can write the songs and maybe not everybody should write the songs. Right. But, you know, like, for example, in our band, like Billy, he's he's not going to write 
our songs. He's he's written some great stuff. Don't get me wrong. He's not our main songwriter, but he is the guy. Like when it comes to what are we going to do with our vinyl on this pressing? Mm, you know what I mean, right? Or 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 like what should our what should our photography you know be like? Mm-hmm. You know, or or there's so many things like that he does that is is like incredible and really important. You know, right, right. so every band you know besides just playing music which obviously is the main thing you're doing it's really good that everybody has kind of their own thing that they're passionate about sure and on like you know the business side of it or or whatever or whatever it is and i think that that's yeah. really great too that makes sense to have. how open and, does the communication have to be to do that like like is it just like assumed and known that bill does that stuff and he's good at it or is it or is it communicated? Like, you know, is it like, hey, you're doing a really great job with this stuff? Like, is that idea of, uh, you know, a little bit of um, reassurance, you know, you good, you think? Yeah, I think so. But I, I also think like sometimes that stuff isn't so obvious. It's not so like apparent. Like you start mm-hmm. a band, like hey, you're going to be this guy and you're going to be this guy. And like, this is your role. Like it kind of falls into place. Right. You know? Sure. As of As of who does what and how much you feel, how much, you know. Uh, how much someone wants to do or whatever, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be so rigid with like, well, that's your fucking job. Why didn't you do your <laughs> right, job? Right, right. Th- then you get into into all sorts of other problems too. Sure. Um, but no, I think the other thing too, we've always been very, uh, I don't know, conscious of too, is we bring people on the road, like crew members and stuff. We treat them like the same as everybody else. Mm. Like we treat a crew member like a band member. We don't like I I don't I don't play the well I I need the best place to sleep because I'm the singer card you know I don't like I I try not to pull any of those kind of any of that kind of diva shit you know right. and like we realize that our crew members are on the road and they're away from their friends and family just like we are sure and that's that's hard too you know so if crew guy wants to have his girlfriend out for a couple days sure you know what I mean like nice. no problem like those those kinds of things are to me are like fine. Um, and a lot of bands wouldn't do that. Yeah. And I think treating your, treating your crew and, and the people around you, um, and that extends into, you know, all the people that are around your band, I think treating them all like family and like gold is, um, is just really important. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I just, Sorry, the long answer. No, no, I appreciate it. That's, it's one of the things I'm really fascinated on when I do the podcast. Cause there seems to be a really, uh, you know, universal thread in the bands that, you know, do it for a long time with the same types of people. And they're really basic things, you know, they comes down to mutual respect. Um, you know, hearing people, actually hearing people, letting people voice it, not feeling insecure, you know, sort of basic emotional things, but, when you get groups of four, five, six, usually young boys together <laughs> at, you know, 17, 18, 19, like people don't have the wherewithal to, to always yeah. act accordingly, especially at first, you know? Well, the other thing too, I should add is, is just don't take yourself so fucking seriously. Right. That's the other thing, man. Sure. Like, are you, you're just like, put it into perspective what you're doing. Like mm-hmm. you're a bunch of kids making noise that like 99% of the world thinks is shit, no matter how good it is. You know what I mean? Like it's, 
when you're you're i'm just talking about if you're playing in a punk band or something right like you're not don't get on your high horse just have fun do your best you know um manage your expectations Mm. like when you get to when you're on the way to that show and the promoter's like there's gonna be 250 kids there and then you get there and there's 25 right just you know don't don't tell yourself tell yourself that there might be you know 50 and then if 100 show up you're really excited rather than the other way around you know those kinds of expectation managing i think is really important as a band too yeah that makes sense managing expectations that's big exactly yeah yeah it is yep interesting so i just heard something and i have a feeling that brad is gonna chime in when he hears this um Mm -hmm. so recording drums last yeah please talk me off a ledge tell me how this works because because i was (laughs) i was scared and a little offended and scared, mostly scared when I heard this. Can you tell me, dude, what's happening? It, why? It, why it's oh, man. good? Let why me tell you this. Good? As a drummer, you should be so happy. Tell me why. Because there's, okay, well, okay, there's a couple things. Okay. The reason generally I think that people want to record drums last now is because so much of the time when a band is working on a song, it, it it changes, right? Yeah. It changes over time. Like maybe you want to, you rewrite the second verse and then the vocals are different. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe the singer will hold a note longer in one spot than like maybe the, the, the demo or something. Right. So if you already have the drums locked into place, then you can't change that later. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So like, let's say this, you want the singer to hold a note longer and then right when that that note stops, there's the drum fill. Mm-hmm. But like if if instead you have it so that the singer, you know, like does the opposite and then the drum fill comes in like too early or whatever, then it could just be not as good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention if you decide, actually, we really want to do this verse like halftime. It's like, well, sorry, it's recorded now. We can't, right, right. We can't change that. Okay. You know, unless you want to go set up the kit again and and record the drums. Mm. The other thing is a lot of bands will have, you know, a pretty limited budget for their record. Right. So it makes a lot more sense to have the whole thing done and have all the drums, you know, like, you know, you play to a click track. I don't know if Gaslight Anthem played exclusively to, to a click, click click track or not, but uh like like on your records, but if you have that all on a click and you have all the MIDI MIDI drums programmed, and they can be changed, then the drummer has, first of all, the drummer has the whole time to learn them mm-hmm. during the whole recording so that they'll be, they'll be really well in his, in his mind of what he's going to do or she will do, I should say. And then the final thing is like, okay, cool. Now that we know what exactly what the drummer's going to do, we can bang out these drums in like one or two days mm. because you know, so it's like, okay, we only have to get the drum studio, like the big room for like two days instead of maybe three or four days if you're still, you know, working at the the drum parts or the ideas of the songs. So when you're doing it, uh, are, are you tracking guitars first? So we, we will kind of arrange, we'll kind of have everything in like from a demo. So we'll have, you know, like in Pro Tools or Logic or whatever we're using, we, we tend to use Pro Tools because our producer does. So we'll have like a demo with the guitars and the vocals and then the drums will all be programmed. 
And then usually we'll start kind of replacing everything from the demo and, and making changes as we go. Oh, so okay. usually we'll start with, we'll make sure that, that we like the song and then we'll record guitar and bass first and then the, um, and then the vocals to the MIDI drums uh, and then the right. drums at the end. But, but for our, for like our last record, we didn't do it entirely like that. We, we kind of did it more like a few songs at a time. Okay. Rather than an entire record. Yeah. I like doing that. Yeah. But there's the thing is, is like, there's no rules these days, really. <laughs> right. You know, with what you want to do. I yeah. Think. But I think something like the drums that, and I mean, these days, everything could be edited too. So like right. you could change stuff anyway, but <laughs> That's right. doing the drums first, it does, I think, put you in a, as, at a disadvantage if you want to change things. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. I'm not. Does Brad, does Brad agree? Oh, I doubt it. I've had enough of your ridiculous theories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dad. Brad is like, if you think, um, I, I was joking with my wife. I'm like, I got the perfect question to piss off Brad tonight. Because he's probably sitting there going, you know what's great? Steely Dan, reel to reel, two inch tape. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> oh, your buzz is oh, gone. Oh, fuck you. Yeah, so fuck you. Now your buzz is, is it gone? gone? Is the buzz gone? This is mute. This is really dependent on the type of music and like, yeah, yeah. What you're doing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I get it. I've never heard of this technique. It's in- it sounds really interesting, yeah. but um, yeah, not everybody could do this or not. A- and like you said, not every song would it work on. See how bad you see how mad Brad got when I, when I brought up Steely oh, yeah. Dan in regards oh, to yeah. him, you know, <laughs> I mean, if you're recording it to, if you're recording music to a grid, like to a click track, which, I mean, most stuff is, you can do it this way. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't know. I I understand. Like, I mean, it was, it was a really, really weird for me the first time we did it too. I was, I was kind of against it. And there was a record we did drums first, even like we talked about doing drums last time. We ended up doing the drums first just because we were all like, this is weird. And then we came around on it. So yeah, listen. we were the same. We were the same way. I'll try anything once besides, besides for crack, you know? So, so <laughs> if it go. came to it, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a there shot. There you go. Um, the last single uh, that you put out, it's over really cool song. And I, I felt that is the last single, right? Uh, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. That's and, always uh, fun. yeah. Felt like it had a really kind of little bit of a different feel for you all. And a kind of a different kind of heaviness to it. A little slowed down, a little thick. And I really like it. I dig it. Um, is this a bit of a a precursor for for the future of Silverstein? I don't know. You know, it's it's always funny how whenever we make, you know, put out a new album or a new song or whatever, half the people say, "Oh, this sounds like exactly like their old stuff." The band never evolves, and then half the people are like, "Wow, this is like way different." Like, like <laughs> right. what happened to the old stuff? You know, like it's like no, no, you can never seem to win. <laughs> right. And it's funny because that song I thought was one of the more kind of classic oh interesting silverstein songs but huh. then a lot of things i mean we're tuning lower yeah and you know and some of the i don't know it's just some of the production and stuff i guess probably makes it sound a little more modern but that being said yeah we we really like the song and that's one of the reasons it's a single and you know um we got some other stuff up our sleeves we're excited about too that's 
hopefully, you know, we are a band and we are an active band. So new music will be coming at some point. Nice. That's all I can really say. Um, and we're excited about it, but I think, I think people need to kind of throw whatever preconceptions they have of our band out the window. Nice. Because we have some stuff all over the map coming, um, from heavy to soft to, uh, everything in between. And that's exciting for us because we've always been that band. You know, we've, we've always had a variety of music, which to answer your question about what's kept us afloat for so long with minimal member changes, I think the fact that we have a lot of tools in the toolbox that are fun to use, right? I think that that keeps it exciting for us too. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, you are a uh, wonderful guy to talk to. I always enjoy what you're doing and enjoy oh, thanks, the man. pod. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate you doing this. I hope you had a had a nice time. Spending I, a little I, time with us. I love to talk and I, I haven't <laughs> seen you in I haven't seen you, Benny, in like forever. It's been so. a dog's age. It's been it's, a dog's yes. age. Maybe you wanna <laughs> and I mean, uh, yeah, like let's keep in touch. Let's talk ball and, and For sure. uh, especially this NBA season is going to be very interesting in the Eastern Conference. Oh yeah, I mean, so you saw you saw the Nets just just take it to the Bulls last night and show everyone what they're capable of. So, like, are the Bulls real? I, I don't know. I'm not convinced. I think I, I think they're a perimeter defender away, but that's for another pod. Brad's going to kill himself <laughs> if I do that. But Shane, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Oh, yeah. I don't know, Brad. Recording drums first. You okay with this? Recording drums last. It's a tough sell, right? You know what? The funny thing is that actually, I'm not totally opposed to it. I I get like 
I mean, at this point, this is really, you know what, the, the fact that, that this is like a new idea is really a testament to the way that records are made now, which is yeah, exactly. on the grid, in Pro Tools, like, because, you know, the way that you made records not that long ago, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. through the 90s, into the aughts, you know, people were still using tape for the most part, and, you know, rock bands even... I mean, even hardcore bands, you know, you record it all together and there's a reason you do that because like anybody who's been in a room with a live drummer knows that like there's this tug and pull and give and take in all kinds of music. It's definitely way more prevalent in certain types. of. I mean, there's there's certain music that you just couldn't make that way because, right. you know, like you can't like, you know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. There's just like there's a feel to playing live in a room. And I mean, everybody like, you know, I think I really believe that most records should, everybody should record together in the room. And the things that he was talking about happen then, like the singer holds a note, the drummer like waits to do the fill, you know? Um, right. And that happens, you know, anybody who's recorded regularly like that knows that those things happen. And that's why you end up with multiple takes, you know, and you get see, I wonder, you know, we talk about this and I wonder if how much, you know, uh, recording technology has actually changed songwriting, you know, because. Oh, definitely. It has. E even just the general concept of like going into the studio and still making major adjustments. Yeah. Like up until a few years ago to me. That was an absolute no-go. Like, if you had studio time booked... You had to be ready. Oh, yeah. you knew, like, what the fuck you were doing, yeah. like, when you went in. No, no major changes, you know? Like, like the song is the song by the time you get in there. Yeah, but no, you're, you're definitely correct about that. It's with the totally way it's changed. done now, I mean, you know, I just kind of dealt with this with the Mercy Union record. There was a couple, couple songs we were going in with that weren't quite done, you know, had a couple extra pieces and stuff like that. And I decided to kind of let my old thinking go in regards to that and just be like, hey, we got it all there. I'll take a bunch of different passes. We'll figure out what's right. You know what? Like the end result, it's really fucking similar. Um, so it's possible and I can see it. I can see it. I heard it and I was like, oh, man, I got to make Shane explain this. But he's like two minutes into explaining. I'm like, eh. Whatever makes sense. <laughs> whatever, you know, whatever makes the best music, man. That's I it. Bet. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you have the means, you always have the option to do it the old fashioned way. It's just, you know, and the truth is you can make good sounding records now without the means, which you couldn't do uh, 20 years right. ago. So right. I am pro technology for that reason. I mean, I guess a lot has to do too. I mean, it's like, it's not like they're recording with no drums, you know, they had a MIDI track. So, you know, they ha they do have, like, an underlying thing keeping it going. It's not just these naked, and you know, bare guitar parts and bare vocal parts. I'll tell you a secret. If you're anybody who's sort of a music historian will know that there are moments in history where the drums have been, you know, probably some famous songs that uh, that we could we could dig up where this is, technique has actually been used, like, on traditional, yeah. like, rock and roll songs where mm. the drums have been re-recorded for whatever reason. Um, Can you name names? I can't like right now come up with a specific song, but I know that I have read about, you know, things where like, oh yeah. And then at four o'clock in the morning, Keith 
comes in completely <laughs> wasted and decided that Charlie's track was just too on the beat and recorded all the drums over. You know, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, there is definitely things that have happened like that. So I love that shit. You ever heard that story about uh, the Bob Marley song and the apparently the the producer? I think it was I shot the sheriff, and you can hear a little can hear a little bump in the track when you listen to it. And the myth is that the guy who recorded the record was not a weed smoker, um, but they just finished and they're like, yo, you got to smoke. And apparently he dropped the cherry of the joint on the reel to reel and burned through <laughs> No, and had to splice a piece of I shot the sheriff. And that's why there's the little bump in that song. <laughs> I, you know, I could never it's tell you. you know, obviously, I wasn't there. I don't. I don't know. If it's well, true, we but. we both know that stranger things have happened in the studio. I believe that's true. There, I so. believe that's true. <laughs> well, Brad, you got some uh, socials for our friend Shane. So Shane has is rich with socials. He can be found <laughs> uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Shane Told. Uh, you can get Silverstein exactly where you would expect them at Silverstein. Uh, lead singer syndrome, which I do recommend. Yeah, very good. Lead singer Sin S Y N on Twitter, but lead singer Syndrome on Instagram, and then he's got an older Instagram account. I don't know if he still works with this with River Oaks Music, but yeah, yeah, you can check that out too. Man, and of course, I gotta we, hit up one of these Krampus parades, bro. Um, did you see the picture I sent you? Yes. Uh, oh my god, cool. I would fight one of those creeps if they touched me with a stick, though. It's definitely uh, creepy. <laughs> that was a great story but yeah thanks a lot to shane coming on and everybody yeah keep in touch with silverstein and lead singer syndrome he's he is a prolific creator and uh i'm sure he's gonna have plenty of stuff coming our way yeah and uh you can support us at patreon patreon.com slash going off track um we've got a lot of incentives there you can check those out and you can drop us a tip if you want on venmo at off track. Thanks, Matt, for the tip this week. Um, mm -hmm. We'll take it. And in uh, about 12 minutes, we're starting the weekly Discord fireside chat with our awesome patrons who uh, it's really becoming a very nice place to go every week. huh? It's a so nice little if anybody wants to join us and uh, have our good friends in the forum, give you a little therapy session. It's what we're good at. So. <laughs> So come into our Discord via our Patreon. It's fun. Yeah. And we'll see All you right. next week. Yeah, enough of the whorish behavior. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, Brad. Bye. Bye.